The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody, and welcome. A special welcome to the First Unitarian Universal Society of San Francisco. Lovely to have you with us this morning during our worship live stream from wherever life has you in its palm this morning, in its embrace. If you have any issues with connecting via the live stream or questions, there is Joe Chapeau ready on our chat to answer them. So please take advantage of that opportunity. And I want to thank today, I want to just say a general thank you to everybody who has helped make the service possible, which is this long list of people, of gifted professionals, of lay volunteers, I think it's important these days to realize all the different forms that essential work that keeps us whole and healthy and safe and held in this time, all the forms that it takes, and I'm grateful for the form that it takes to make this possible each week. In particular, also, I want to thank Amy Kelly, who did the flowers, who's not even listed here. And I want to hold up one person in particular who has not missed a Sunday since we have been here in various forms of live stream mode, and that is Jonathan Silk. We really wouldn't have been able to do this, and also Eric Shackelford. We really wouldn't have been able to do this without them, and also Shuli Ong, who's on camera too, our two lay volunteers who do the camera, and the sound, and the technical. But everybody makes this possible, and so we begin our Sunday morning with gratitude. Grateful for you, grateful for this moment together. So let's begin in worship together. And we will begin this morning, as you'll see in your order of service, with hymn number 1000. The words and the music are in your order of service. Sing loud and proud from home.
What an uplifting way to start the morning. That was beautiful. I'd like to invite you now to join us in our chalice lighting. The words are found in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Good morning, my name is Allison Jacks. I'm the Associate Minister here at First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. Welcome. If this is your first time watching, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video and is emailed to everyone who signs up to receive our weekly e-newsletter, The Flame and you can find a link to sign up for the flame in the order of service as well as in the video description. Our order of service lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which will follow this service, and so we hope you'll join us. With the election now two days away, we invite you to take part in a number of virtual events planned some by the Unitarian Universalist Association, as well as the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association, and you'll find those links in the order of service. And in addition, there will be events and gatherings planned here at the church, as well as events that will be happening on Zoom. We offer these opportunities because it's important at this time that we stay connected, that we are sharing with one another and supporting one another. And so again, look for those links in the order of service. In addition, please check out our spiritual, adult spiritual growth classes currently available, including our minister's book club led by Reverend Vanessa, our spiritual classes, uh, our spiritual practices classes, including uh, meditation and yoga, we also have a new four-session newcomers class and new members class led by our intern minister, Meg McGuire. And there are our weekly humanist and non-theist programs which you're invited to. And we're finally happy to bring back Spirit Saturday, the virtual edition, with three special workshop offerings. Spirit Saturday will be happening on Saturday, November 21st from 10 to 1. This concludes our announcements this morning. So I invite you to center yourselves as we begin our worship. We'll be singing our uh, song, Meditation on Breathing. The words are found in your order of service. You can listen to our song the first time through, listen to the leaders singing it, and then join in afterwards. We'll be singing together a few times through. Meditation on Breathing. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, when I breathe in, in I'll, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, when I breathe out, I'll breathe out. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe. 
join me, if you will, saying the words of our covenant, the promises that we make to each other in this community. They're printed in your order of service. I invite you to say with me. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. We acknowledge also the 545 children separated from their parents at the border, put in custody, whose parents are unable to find them or whose families are unable to be found so that they could be reunited. And this day, we name also the 21 adults who were lost in federal custody in these camps in the fiscal year that closed September 30th. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses to the global pandemic. This week, 43,844 people globally died as a result of contracting the virus COVID-19. 5,336 of those were in the United States alone. 7.0earthquake in the Aegean Sea this week. We hold in our hearts the people affected by the 7.0 earthquake in the Aegean Sea this week. We hold in our hearts in particular the 60 people so far, 58 from Turkey and 2 from Greece, who lost their lives in the earth
And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Please join with me as we enter into a time of spoken and silent prayer and meditation. In the coming days, in the midst of uncertainty, the play of darkness and light, may our hearts remain open to the power of healing and hope. I want to share a poem written by the poet, artist, and minister Jan Richardson from her book, The Cure for Sorrow. A, bless, a book of blessings for the time of grief. Blessings of hope. So may we know the hope that is, just, that is not just for someday, but this day, here, now, in this moment that opens to us. Hope not made of wishes, but of substance. Hope of sinew and muscle and bone, hope that has breath and a beating heart, hope that will not keep quiet and be polite, hope that knows how to holler when it is called for, hope that knows how to sing when there seems little cause, hope that rises up from the dead, not someday, but this day, again and again and again. Join me now in a time of silent reflection.
Amen. Beginning last night was the pagan festival of Samhain, an ancient Celtic festival set at harvest time that carries through until today in our own pagan interest circle marking it among us yesterday. Some of the traditions of this time revolve around the belief that the veil between the living and the dead grows thin at this time of year. And ancestors could cross over for a while. Later, Christian festivals of All Saints Day celebrated today and All Souls Day celebrated tomorrow, Day of the Dead. 
They tried to bring that ancient honoring into something that was adjusted to celebrate church leaders that prayed for family members who had died. In many places still though, in Mexico, in the Philippines, in our own city, soon in the day to come, the idea that lost loved ones were close enough that you could join them in a picnic and enjoy merriment and food, have a reunion at the grave in some cases, it persists. Every human community finds a way to name the loss of loved ones, tries to pull them across the divide a little closer sometimes, needs a time to name and honor and mourn what we have lost and rituals that I think paradoxically in doing so make space for us to listen and attend to what these beloved friends and family have still left behind with us. This year has been a harder year to lose loved ones. With rituals of mourning that have been made awkward or impossible to do the way we knew to do them and so the feelings of loss can in some ways be heavier. And so we make room this morning as we did last week to hold some of the losses felt this year among us, to do some of the honoring together so Allison and I will read a little about those we have lost. And after we do so, we will read their name again and ask you to say with us, as is often said in Day of the Dead gatherings, the word presente. In that way, acknowledging that we have called these loved ones into this space to be present among us. And so we begin. Tom Brookshire lost his father, Jerry Brookshire, in January. Jerry was a free-spirited jazz musician and a piano tuner, a self-described, born-again San Franciscan, an explorer, and an erstwhile member of Timothy Leary's League of Spiritual Discovery in the 1960s. He will be missed. Jerry Brookshire, presente. Luann Schulte lost her mother, Josephine Frances Dauber Schulte. As a teacher, Joe was a strong advocate for education, ensuring that many extended family members attended college who otherwise would have not been able to. She was an avid and accomplished quilter with her work raising thousands of dollars for charity over the years. She had a strong sense of community, delivering meals on wheels until she was 90 years of age. Josephine Dauber Schulte, Presente. Amy Kelly asks that we remember her cousin, David Schick. David, who grew up next door to Amy and her brother, Dan, in Rochester, New York, and was like a second brother to them 
always loyal to family and friends. Dave ran a sanctuary for birds and other animals on the northeast coast of Maine for decades. He participated in a theater near where he lived in northeastern Maine. He struggled in these last days of isolation, and we lost him this last spring. He will be greatly missed. David Schick, Presente. Also lost this year was a former member, Jim Dillon. Jim was the husband of Ann Dillon, both active members of the church. Jim left the church when he remarried after Ann's death. His kindnesses will be remembered. We don't have a photo of Jim to present, but we say his name, Jim Dillon. Presente. Presente. Shuli Ong lost her mother this year. Joan Ong was an unconventional woman who lived through the Depression, and she married outside her race in Boston in the 1940s. She was a feminist before the term became part of everyday language, a converted Unitarian Universalist she was a complicated person and greatly loved. Joan Ong. Presente. Several people have asked us to remember Elizabeth Fisher. Liz was an involved member in our community in the 80s. Liz was an activist and leader in Unitarian Universalism, recognized for her contributions to the women and religion movement and her writing on feminist spirituality. Liz will be remembered for her passion, compassion, intellect, creativity, and energy. She passed away this past September. Liz Fisher. Presente. Nancy Buffum asked that we recognize the death of close friends, Copper Persephone and Tommy Finian. And so we do. Copper Persephone, presente. Tommy Finian, presente. New member John Bowman lost his mother to Alzheimer's disease this last year. Mary Rose Cavill was born on August 24, 1926, and married John's father in 1950. She would lose her husband only 10 years into their marriage when he died in a car accident, and she became a single mother 
Mary worked in a bank getting a degree while she studied childhood, worked in a bank, and while she did so, studied to get a degree in early childhood education. She successfully raised all four children and died on Christmas Eve, her favorite day of the year. Mary Rose Bowman. Presente. Presente. Diane Allen and Kathleen Quinneville would like to honor the memory of their niece, Catherine, who passed away suddenly this year at the age of 30. And Diane's brother, David, who preceded his, daughter's, his, daughter, in, preceded his daughter in 2018. Catherine was lively with a great sense of humor. She was studying to be a paramedic. David, Diane's only sibling, was a wonderful, giving person, the best brother ever. They say, the best brother ever, they say, and they miss him terribly. Catherine and David Allen, Presente. Presente. We remember Robert Kaufman, who also died in December of last year, a retired pediatrician and member of the UUSF men's breakfast group. Robert offered many insights and valuable lessons, moments of unpredictability, and a rich history of eclectic friends and activities. Robert Kaufman. Presente. Carlo Connolly lost her sister last Monday. Carlo writes, when I was 10 years old, my brother married Brenda. She was my first young adult role model and I saw only wisdom and confidence in what she would later describe as the muddy stumbles of young motherhood. For more than 50 years, I watched her persistently focus on the joy of the moment. Laughter was the way through the defenses that protected Brenda and into her heart. I cannot picture her face without a smile. We don't have a photograph, but we name Brenda Payastiwa Presente. Presente. This year, Unitarian Universalism lost two giants. Reverend David Petit died of cancer on September 12th. David served our congregation as an, affiliate, uh, an affiliated community minister, doing hospice ministry and supporting our pastoral care ministry here for five years. For two decades afterwards, he served Unitarian Universalism, overseeing ministerial education and credentialing, offering critical support and mentorship to innumerable ministers in their formation. And he faced his own end with grace and realism and equanimity. 
David Patti, presente. presente. Our denomination also mourns the untimely and unexpected death of Alondria Williams. E came up in the Unitarian Universalist Youth Movement and went on to serve on the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee and most recently as the co-moderator of the UUA. Alondria was a joyous presence and an indomitable force in our Unitarian Universalist community and beyond a righteous organizer for justice and liberation who inspired so many. We will forever be grateful for Elandra's legacy in our faith tradition, helping us transform our faith communities to being the inclusive, anti-oppressive world we imagine, in which we are all held in the circle of love and care. Elandria Williams. Presente. Finally, Anne Revere asked us to witness to the death of Don Beckler on October 24th, 2020. Don, who for the past quarter of a century or more organized locally and nationally in a campaign for single-payer health care. He was steadfast, he was persistent, and focused against overwhelming odds. He attended rallies and marches and collected signatures and sent monthly letters to those who were involved in the cause with him, always signing the letters, you are great. So were you, Don. Don Beckler. Presente. I know there is more loss among us. Whoever they are, call them all to mind. Say their names. And for them we say, you that we have loved and lost, you too are here with us today. Presente. Presente. Robert Raines, in his work, Going Home, writes the following. As we separate and the ties unbind and the threads of our lives disentangle and we make ready for a new weaving, let us believe in our own hearts that nothing we have shared together that is good will be lost. That all we were takes its honored place in life's journey. That nothing, nothing that we know of you and of each other can separate us from our love. Shakes my love. 
our reading this morning is a poem, which maybe some of you already heard in the videos that have been going out, thanks especially to Meg McGuire, our intern. The daily videos supporting us up until the election called Talisman for Our Times. The reading is a poem by British poet Sheena Pugh, entitled Sometimes. Sometimes things don't go, after all, from bad to worse. Some years, muscadel faces down frost. Green thrives. The crops don't fail. Sometimes a man aims high and all goes well. A people, sometimes, will step back from war, elect an honest man, decide they care enough that they can't leave some stranger poor. Some men become what they were born for. Sometimes our best intentions do not go amiss. Sometimes we do as we were meant to. The sun will sometimes melt a field of sorrow that seemed hard frozen. May it happen for you. Here ends our reading.
My friends, it is a strange Sunday, poised at the apex of a very big unknown, at a time when unknowing is already something that is a constant for all of us. And we've learned to be leery of predicting election results. People can say one thing on the way in and do quite another, hang. Chads can hang. Social media can blow up a hurricane of dubious but inflammatory energy in less than a 24-hour cycle. And as Barton Gelman pointed out in his much-discussed article, The Election That Could Break America in this month's Atlantic Monthly, there are legal mechanisms for subverting the election process that exist and rely on the honor and integrity of the sitting president not to use them. So, we sit poised. Strange Sunday though it is, it also feels like an important moment to begin doing what I would call some reorienting of the soul. Some turning of our energies toward a posture in particular of healing and hope because we will need both, animating us as a nation no matter what happens on Tuesday and the days to follow. I think it's a good sign that there is growing hunger in the nation. I think there is for both of those things, healing and hope. Though our passions can be whipped up and our angers and resentments and our hatred and our fears too, such a life as we have learned is exhausting. Four and really more than four years of national reactivity, uncivil conversation, entrenched ways of being in relationship to people that we increasingly see and judge as on our team or not, well, you and I can look out over the bunkers from all this warring and see the results. A kind of scorched landscape stands around us and between us. I don't need to detail what that means in terms of our institutions, enlightened policies that had long-term objectives of preservation and strengthening, both here and abroad, that have been eviscerated or tied up in infighting. I don't need to detail what it means for our literal health, spiritual, economic, physical, the health of our people in this nation. I don't need to detail what it means in terms of our relationships with one another, stranger, neighbor, family. You know what it means. Fill in the mad lib of the state of the nation with your set of chosen nouns and proper nouns and numbers and adverbs and descriptive adjectives. It all adds up to some varied version of scorched landscape that we describe. So, I think more than a few of us are feeling some sadness and maybe even despair these days. Maybe we have been for a while, and that's good. 
My mother used to say that, that despair was good sometimes, that we needed to feel it in order to get to doing the hard work of changing the hard things. So feel the despair, because it will call us, it does call us to the hard work ahead. In that sense, you and I are primed for hope and healing, my friends. That's the good news of all that we have been through. We know the price of not transforming how we are together in relationship as a nation. We know some of what we do not want to be going forward. Now to talk about what we do want to be, who and what we want for ourselves and this nation. And here is the crucial word, what we want to be together. This week, I watched a documentary, actually I watched it twice, featuring historian and journalist and author John Meacham. The documentary is entitled The Soul of America. It's the same title as Meacham's two 2018 book, The Soul of America, subtitle, The Battle for Our Better, Better Angels. Meacham, it turns out, was asked to write a piece for Time magazine right after the Charlottesville riots. The question in the air was, has it ever been this bad before? Has the nation ever been so divided? And his piece began to look at those times when the answer was yes and how we as a nation got through those moments to a place more worthy of our best ideals. The title of Meacham's book, of course, echoes intentionally two such moments in history. First, words from the civil rights movement, King's words, his regular exhortation at that time that we see what we do in such moments as reorienting our nation's life so as to redeem the soul of America. And second, the subtitle of Meacham's book, The Battle for Our Better, Better Angels, echoes, of course, Abraham Lincoln's words spoken at his first inaugural address in March of 1861, and this echo feels timely also. In that address, as you know, Lincoln was busy working to avoid a civil war, the one that ultimately took place and tore the nation apart. And in that spirit, he ended the speech that day with these words. He said, I am loath to close. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union when again touched. As surely they will be 
by the better angels of our nature. Low moments in our nation's history, it turns out, have turned for the better with amazing and surprising, in some cases, regularity because of two ingredients that seem to always be present to pull us back from the abyss and knit us back together. First, these moments have turned on some people, some remembering a higher ideal and then holding the nation accountable to it. And second, these precarious moments have turned on stubborn, strategic armies of good, ordinary citizens organizing, advocating, swaying their fellow citizens and voting for change. That's how we, the people, have redeemed the soul of our nation from regular journeys off the cliffs of ignorance and misguided passions. Politics has always been one long cautionary tale, hasn't it, about how to wield power or not, even when you have the votes. Technically, of course, 51% of the vote is often license enough for some change. Do you know what they say about the vote for ministers that are called to a congregation, by the way? They tell us not to accept less than a 90% affirmative vote. The conventional wisdom of lay people and, and called leaders alike is that if you don't have that, you won't have the collective power and goodwill to make lasting, healthy change. Did you know that when you voted for your senior minister, that we had to hit that threshold? Did they tell you what we learned, that our version of power with, of power for one another, requires immense trust and goodwill? But isn't it also true of any other democratic process or body that has any chance of working for health? that it seeks to have that same critical mass of shared goal. Yet in our nation of late, too much of elections have looked like what theologians and political scientists and social psychologists would call power over, coercive power. We have fallen into a pattern of victor shoves as much down the throat of loser as they can for as long as they can. One builds up to have their work torn down, the other builds up to have the same happen in this seesawing of power as administrations change and nothing goes anywhere lasting. It can always feel good in the moment to take a victory and then wield it like a club. That's why it happens so much. But anything done by coercion, even parenting, anything done by coercion is always followed by seeming adherence to what is forced, but then resentment 
resistance, and ultimately, revenge. And power over, after all, is also one sign of an age-old, spiritually dangerous mistake going on. The thing we call othering. Othering is that thing we see happening when the world, the universe, gets broken up into us and them, and one of those groups gets graciousness and loyalty, and the other gets treated as some subhuman and exploitable and abusable. Othering, othering is actually exactly what our first principle as Unitarian Universalists stands to protect us against, to call us beyond. We believe in the inherent worth and dignity of all people. If our principles stopped there, we would have a lifetime of spiritual work to do and work in the world. And actually, if you look closely at all of our other principles as Unitarian Universalists, what you will find, I think, arguably, is that everything else we believe and commit to follows from that principle. But but that's a sermon for another day. The other day, some of us went to the march that was organized in part by some of our own phenomenal leaders in the congregation, the ones who are gonna make the rally happen again this week on the steps, our phenomenal leaders who wanted to make sure that our institutional voice and our power to literally stand witness to our values in the world is something we do as a community and do in partnership. Last Saturday was this March for Democracy, a march to urge for the protection of everybody's vote, that the votes needed to be counted, urging people to vote, a hundred years and two and a half months ago, 50% of Americans were granted the right to vote. We are still fighting against voter suppression. We have ballot initiatives about restoring the vote to people and their chance to participate fully in society. In fact, just this week, Melvin Stark sent me this amazing video of Martin Luther King speaking. I posted it to my Facebook page. He's speaking, and it could be right now, talking about what a crucial moment it is. And then at the very end, he says something like, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. You know how to vote. I just want to tell you to vote. Well, this was the spirit in which I entered the march, and others did too, and some of the organizers had conceived of it. Enough with division. Enough with us and them. Let's unite behind the democratic right to vote, the call even of the people whose vote is different from mine to show up at the polls because we believe in this, to trust their conscience, and to know that we'll find a way back to each other when all this is over. Well, other people in the march had a different idea of what they wanted to have happen and one person in particular started to scream partisan politics through a megaphone. At one low point, all this person screamed was an expletive followed by a candidate's name. An expletive followed by a candidate's name. And let me be clear, I'm not a fan of the candidate whose name they were yelling. 
But I am at this point also not a fan of the way we are not in conversation in this nation. Not reaching across the divides, repeating the abusive paradigm. Listening to John Meacham talk in measured ways about who we should be as a nation, no partisan politics named, listening to former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Samantha Power do the keynote address for the 80th anniversary gala for the UU Service Committee, which you can find online, and it's so worth watching this brilliant, measured woman, clear, engaged, and ready to debate in respectful ways toward a conversation about what our, the better angels of our nation might look like. All of that is so appealing to me right now. And it so doesn't look like that megaphone chant and a hundred other examples on every side of the debate. And it won't be a victory for Democrats and Republicans who use that approach of power over to just continue to stuff policy down their losing opponents' throats. I don't want that America anymore. I have seen from the bunkers the stark and scorched landscape it leaves behind, and so have you. My colleague and adored friend, the Reverend Liz Lerner McClay, who is the senior minister at the First Unitarian Church in Providence, Rhode Island, shared a story with her congregation last week that I want to share with you. Just one story of hope and healing, animating one person's set of choices, or a group of people, ultimately. I want to offer it as we start to think about how it might feel to look and move through the world with this energy as our vital animating spark. So this story is all Reverend McClay's words shared with her permission. She writes, when the renowned director and dramaturge Oscar Eustace spoke in this space, she's speaking of First Unitarian in Providence, a couple of years ago as a guest of the Providence Athenaeum, he talked about what he believes the role of theater is in civilization, in democratic society in particular. Mr. Eustace, who's now the director of public theater in New York, has as one of his triumphs a little show you may have heard of called Hamilton. You may remember that some years ago, right after our current president and vice president were elected, Mike Pence went to see Hamilton. After the show, during the curtain call, the cast read a brief message to then VP-elect Pence thanking him for attending, pointing out that the show and its cast represent the rich racial and cultural diversity of America and letting him know that they were afraid that the new administration would not support them in all of their very variety, defend all of their inalienable rights. They hoped the show had inspired him to uphold the show's American values and to uphold all of them. 
The new president-elect immediately condemned their message as harassing and rude, and his supporters immediately called for Hamilton's boycott, hoping to shut the show down. And of course, that didn't happen. And Hamilton continued to be one of the hottest and hardest tickets to get on Broadway. But when Mr. Eustace told this story, he said, here's the thing. We, Hamilton, had already boycotted them. Wait, what? Yes. He said, the people who were declaring they would boycott would never have come anyway. They couldn't afford it. They couldn't get into it. The play wasn't for them. Mr. Eustace realized he and the team who had produced Hamilton had also failed all those people left outside its reach. So they produced another play, Sweat, a Pulitzer Prize winning drama about the struggles for work and dignity in Reading, Pennsylvania. And they sent they sent the play with its Broadway performers not on the usual tour through major U.S. cities, but on tour across the Rust Belt, also known especially right now as the Swing States, Erie, Pennsylvania, Ashtabula, Ohio, Saginaw, Michigan, Hayward, Wisconsin. They reached out, sent the play to its people who had gone so long unserved, unserved by the arts in the same ways that they had been economically abandoned, ignored, even shunned. This play about race and poverty in steel towns in Pennsylvania toured where people could recognize themselves in it. And people came, white people came, black people came, and they engaged with the play, with each other. In group gatherings after the show, they opened up to each other and they often wept because they felt heard, not schooled, not censured, not attacked or criticized, heard. Mr. Eustace said the play was about losing the town's identity and their feeling of belonging not to the future, but to the past. And that is what allowed for the opening and the deepening in the discussions after each performance. The opening and the deepening that were opportunities, moments for growth or change or even transformation and that is how they are one, by listening rather than speaking, by showing respect and compassion to people who are struggling. What Sweat did was respectful, compassionate, ultimately cathartic. It even allowed space and for an energy that progressives can't afford to lose sight of, McClay writes, joy. Catching each other up in the beauty and the power of our possibilities and commitments and care together. 
John Meacham at the end of his documentary says that there are core values that are vital to leadership, vital also to ordinary citizenship. He says they are these, curiosity, the desire to want to listen to and understand what another, even and especially someone who disagrees with you, believes and why. Humility, that amazing ability to admit when you're wrong and change your mind, something he said some of the greatest moments of history have been about when leaders have changed their minds. Think Woodrow Wilson walking by suffragettes from the day before he was inaugurated, having them imprisoned and force-fed during his administration, and finally seeing things differently, admitting he had changed his mind and signing women's right to vote into law. Third, Meacham says is empathy. Staying open and interested in another's experience, reaching toward them, and finding places where our needs and cares and worries overlap and building from there with respect. And dare I say, love. Power with. It requires that we all enter with that new guiding spirit at the heart of what we do, those disciplines of citizenship that Meacham names, hope and healing as our objective. And it is time for all our sakes that we reclaim all of this. Gather it as what we need, strap it to our backs, tattoo it on our hearts as we set across the scorched landscapes all around us to meet who waits for us on the other side or maybe just right next door. As Sufi mystic Rumi wrote, out beyond the landscapes of right doing and wrong doing, there is a garden. I will meet you there. As Abraham Lincoln said, we must not be enemies, though passion may have strained. It must not break our bonds of affection all over this broad land. will yet swell the chorus of the union when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. And to paraphrase and draw courage from the poet Sheena Pugh, with forgiveness from her, Sometimes things don't go after all, from bad to worse. Some years, muscadel faces down frost, green thrives, the crops don't fail. Sometimes a people aims high and all goes well. A people sometimes will step back from war, elect an honest person, decide they care enough that they can't leave some stranger poor. Some nations become what they were born for. Sometimes our best intentions do not go amiss. Sometimes we do as we were meant to. A son 
The sun will sometimes melt a field of sorrow that seems hard frozen. May it happen for you. May it happen for us all. Amen. And the words that we say to close today are words written by Richard Davis Lowell, worship associate here. Like never before, we are in this together like rowers in an octuple skull or canoe. We will only get to where we want to go when we hit our stride and learn to pull together. If we separate, if we work against each other, we are surely lost. Together, our purpose becomes clearer and work becomes synchronized, clear and purposeful. If we pull together, we leave no one behind. It has never been more true than today. United, we stand. Divided, we fall. So go in peace, my friends. Go in courage and love for this. This is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.